Hey, it's Lacey Broussard, and this is the Multi-Orgasmic Mama podcast. From sex and motherhood, birth and relationships, communication and intimacy building, and Taoism and Tantra, we explore topics such as self-care, self-pleasure, body image, jadex, the feminine cycles, creativity in business, and modern spirituality. The Multi-Orgasmic Mama is a place to come for true stories and transformational advice on how to be a mama and a multi-orgasmic woman too. Welcome to the Multi-Orgasmic Mama podcast. Today we have special guest, Aurora Farber. How are you doing, Aurora? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, I'm super excited to have you on today. You have just co-authored a book called The New Feminine Evolutionary. And when I first um, interacted with you, I saw that you had written this book and the title obviously caught my eye and one of the, the main reasons I want to talk to you to find out more about uh, this book that you've written and find out more about you and your work. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you work with and what you do? Sure. I am a transformational life coach for women and I'm a writer now. That was one of my dreams. So that has happened and I have um, two more books that I'm co-authoring this year. So it's very exciting. I'm also a speaker um, in addition to my own brand and my own business, AuroraFarber.com, my husband and I, we work together and we have a program called the, well, a website called the ExtraordinaryFamilyAdventure.com. And so about me, you know, I really love to work with women to, and families to help raise the vibration of love. And when I tap into what is my mission, my mission is to set the world on fire with love and when I say that what I mean is that and, and this is why I'm so excited to talk with you multi-orgasmic mama <laughs> when I talk about fire I'm talking about this shakti fire and what I call ignite your feminine fire and it starts in our wombs so this place of creation that uh, we are capable of birthing not only our beautiful children but our dreams it it's also the flame, the triple flame that lies in the womb, in the heart. So we ignite not just our power and our ability to create and manifest, but also our heart with that compassionate love and then with our mind's eye or our wisdom. So these three power centers, when we are in alignment with that, then that's what I think is what is this new feminine consciousness that's arising, this feminine power that we're seeing, I mean, all over the place with Oprah's speech, with the Me Too movement, this new consciousness that's arising. That's what I'm really excited about is how do we as women set the world on fire through these three power centers and do it in a way that is generative, that's loving, that's sustainable, that promotes kindness and compassion in the world. That's what I'm excited about. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. That's <laughs> so super aligned with how I feel as well. One thing I've been a little uh, cautious and curious about is, you know, men's role in all of this um, feminine uprising. It's very, uh, it could very well go in one direction or the other. You know, I hope it's not going to like man bashing, but every now and then I see some posts on social media, I'm like, um, yeah, that's not what this is about. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it's, it just reminds me that we have to be 
really clear and set really great examples about uh, what it means for the feminine to become powerful and to come into this uprising because it's not about squashing men or their masculinity or power you know it's about being equals and absolutely and, and it's not even about men, men and women it's about mm -hmm. women consciousness that yes. lives in men just like a masculine consciousness lives in you and i mm -hmm. we we both have those sides and so it's this um way in which men can tap into their own feminine fire <laughs> yeah like how can they learn to hold power because that's the truth is that we've lived you know in this hierarchical patriarchic system for so long that the power structures that we've seen are i'm above you i'm better than you i'm over you i've got to squash somebody to get to the top and it's not just men that do that women do that too yeah and so we all need to learn a new way and that's what's so exciting you know you can even just energetically feel it in your body and if you if you and i know for a lot of women the womb area is a place that maybe is numbed out or they don't um, you know, really know how to tune into that area. But if you can align just this idea that your womb is the one that creates life, I mean, that is pretty powerful. <laughs> so just with that idea and feeling into your heart and, and your intuition, that's a different kind of power. That's a power that is about, you know, being a sovereign queen. It's about being able to sit on your throne in alignment with the, these three power centers rather than our old models as women have been about um, we were either the ice queen because, okay, if we've got power, we've got to get it. And so that means off with your heads, do what I say, damn you if you don't, um, you know, annihilate anything that is not what I want. And so I think we can all recognize in ourselves. I mean, I definitely have an ice queen in me that, yeah. that has the shield over my heart so that I can get what I want yep. or we become the servant girl. So we become like the one that's like, oh gosh, I'm not even really worthy of being in this castle. The only way I can get around these beautiful things or this nice life is to, is to make everyone else happy and to try not to rock the boat or break anything and just please everyone. You know, I definitely have that part of me too. <laughs> like yeah. And so, but that servant girl inside of us also wants what she wants. And so how the servant girl uses her power usually is through manipulation and passive aggression to get what she wants, right? Don't really ask for it or try to look good when you're trying to get what you want so that you can still remain in your people-pleasing mode. But the new paradigm is really the sovereign queen is how can you want what you want? Do it with compassion from your heart and being able to receive other people too, but still stand in your power and use your intuition in order to, you know, be guided from within. Oh, that's such a great explanation of that. I call my inner ice queen my inner boss bitch. She's a, Ooh, the boss great. bitch. It's <laughs> such a creative thing for you to do. You know, I often, when I work with people, I, I encourage them to name the different aspects of Yes, I do too. Friend it, right? Instead yeah. of like, oh, the boss bitch, you know, you don't want to say anything. My inner perfectionist name is Cassandra. Oh, it's actually, sorry, it's Cassandra. <laughs> She has a particular way that she wants you to say it. Of course. Great. Great. <laughs> well, then, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, and then that uh, that doormat part, yeah, oh, my God. When you were saying that, I was like, yep, I've done that in a previous relationship before. <laughs> Where you, you know, you use your power in very, very manipulative ways. It's, it's 
totally not ideal and it never works out how you how you want it to go so <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. But, you know the, the what what we do in order to what the new feminine evolutionary is about and you know i'm exploring what this is about because this is new for everyone this is a new consciousness that's arising while it's also a remembrance of our feminine power it's how do we do this and so with that uh, ice queen and serpent girl example what you can think of is and, and this is <clears throat> what I encourage with any kind of wounding or any kind of shadow or any kind of like gunk in your life <laughs> is to look at it and say, okay, what's the gift? Yeah. So if you're an ice queen or you're in the mode of ice queen, because we can vacillate from one to the other, mm -hmm. the gift of the ice queen is that she knows what she wants and she's willing to take a stand for power. You know, the wound is that she doesn't do it with compassion or intuition. Sometimes she just wants what she wants and she, you know, does anything to get it. But the gift is that she stands up and she says it. She speaks her truth, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can take that part of it and you can marry that with the gift of the servant girl and the gift of the servant girl is that she has a heart of service. And so she has a way, even through all the people pleasing and all that kind of stuff, she has a way of being able to look outside of her own self, her own ego and kind of see, you know, on a 360 kind of way. Because she, you know, servant girls are really good at anticipating what you need, right? Yeah. <laughs> you need a napkin, it's on your lap, right? Mm -hmm. So that's also a gift. And so when you can marry those two things of speaking for what you want with being able to have this open heart of compassion and still speak what you want and still have the open heart of compassion. You see, it's this, it's this very new way. It's I, what I find with a lot of women and even with myself um, before I integrated this more fully is I would be like, oh, I can be powerful and get what I want, or I can make everyone else happy. It's like they just bumped heads, and I couldn't really get them to go together, right? Right. That way in which when we use our wisdom to align all of this, then we can stand in power, love, and wisdom, which is what I'm always talking about. <laughs> yeah, and when you know the gift of each of these, I call them sub-personalities. I think in psychology that would be the correct term. Um, so when you know the gift of each of these sub-personalities that we created, they're usually always there because they protected us somehow, right? But um, when you see the gift in them, then you can, you can give them another role <laughs> if they're not working in a particular situation for you <laughs> or if they're not like being helpful for what your your ultimate goal is going towards. So sometimes they need to go on vacation. Sometimes they need to like have a new little role for a little while. So every now and then I'll have to give my badass boss bitch like, honey, it's time to go on vacation. We got to go into winter for a little while. Like I just cannot do anything. We're going to have to learn how to rest some and just, you just, I love you, but you can't be here right now. <laughs> That's like the inner dialogues going on within Lacey. Just, you know, FYI, if anybody wants. Just to know, but. <laughs> that is it. That's a wonderful exercise. And that's sometimes an exercise that I give my clients is to yeah. dialogue with these, as you're calling them, sub personalities or archetypal energies, right? Yeah. I would probably say. And um, it, what's really fun is sometimes you can have them dialogue together. So I'll give you an uh -huh. example. Um, I, you know, I write. And so sometimes I, I have a very musy part of me that's really creative, right? And that has all kinds of ideas and just wants to start all kinds of new projects all the time. And then, of course, there's Cassandra, <laughs> who wants everything to be 
perfect if it's ever offered out there. You know, all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed. And so that can create in me, of, or it used to create in me, a very difficult process of getting anything out there. Because I would try to start something and the voice of Cassandra would be like, oh, no, that's not the right way. No, 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 that sounds stupid. So what I did is I did a dialogue and I typed it out. And I just kind of centered myself and um, like through some breathing and meditation. And I had them talk to each other and discover, just like you said, like what, even in this, what is the gift of that part of your personality, right? And so as they came and talked to each other, what, what we decided, so you're not the only crazy one, Lacey. So integrate the parts of yourself. Yeah. But what I did was that Cassandra would go, because in the dialogue as the part of me, the musy part of me was like, oh, but you know, I want to do this. And I want to go take a bubble bath. And then Cassandra's like, oh, you've got so much to do. You can't do that. How could you do that? What's it like? what's it like to take a bubble bath? She got curious, like, what's it like to just take a break? Because I never feel like I can take a break. And so there was this dialogue between them. And so now when I write, I consciously say, Cassandra, it's time for your bubble bath. And because I've had this dialogue, she's no longer going, oh God, I can never do that. I don't have the right to do that. I need to get stuff done. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I heard about that. That's really cool. I want to do that again. So I invite that part of me to, to just go off and I allow my muse to flow in all her imperfection and magic. Because, and Cassandra feels fantastic, that part of me, because she knows after her relaxing bubble bath, she gets to come and she gets to edit because she is a fantastic editor. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. I love that you explained all of this. Yeah, I know. It's coaching is so wonderful. This is what we help people do, by the way, FYI. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Hashtag coaching is magic. That's what I always say. Yes. You want to learn all to love all the parts of you? Just get some coaching. Okay. Anyway. Well, that's so cool. Everything uh, that we've talked about so far, but I'm really wanting to hear your lovely before mom and after mom stories that we had talked about on a previous call. They're so amazing. Um, Aurora has so much life experience and is been through so much uh you just have an amazing story and one of the things i think people like hearing on this podcast is is other women's stories so let's hear it <laughs> all right let's see so my story is you know if i really look at my life my life has been about integration so i was born i'm half asian and i was born at a time when not a lot of half of any you know half black, half white, half Asian, whatever, there, there weren't so many integrated relationships because I was born in 67 and 67 was actually the year that, you know, um, interracial marriage was not illegal. So, um, you know, my path has been of marrying those, those parts of myself. And I think that's why I'm so interested in like looking at the gifts and the wounds, the shadows and the light, <clears throat> the way that we can integrate. So, I grew up basically uh, the daughter of a Filipino wonderful father and my mother is from Virginia. So I have like an island boy father and mountain mama. And we grew up, my dad was in the Navy, so it moved every three years. So it's very much in that flow of moving. Not that I liked it at the time, but then I went to college and I still was in this mode of wanting to explore life. So I studied literature and I minored in French 
And I thought I was going to go off and join the Peace Corps and uh, work in Africa. But it didn't turn out that way. What ended up happening is I decided before I started to get a real job <laughs> um, or graduate school, whatever that would be, I went to Europe. So I bought um, a two-month Euro pass and I traveled around Europe. And I fell in love with it so much that that two years became three years in Spain. And then it became another three years in Milan, in Italy. And during that time, I was an English teacher and I was a model and all the time I was really very adventurous, exploring, and I lived kind of this motto of what I called the freedom from certainty. Like I was young, I was in my 20s, and you know that feeling of being in your 20s of like the world is here, it's my oyster, I want to explore and see it all. And so I did that and I traveled to you know Israel and Egypt and um, just amazing places throughout Europe. And finally, there came a point when I decided, okay, I felt kind of like a bohemian and I was always feeling that pressure of, we've got a college degree, you need to come back home, you need to get a real job. <laughs> like, right? So I finally did and I came back to Florida and I did get a real job, like probably the realest, very corporate job I could get was in banking. <laughs> <sighs> So I became a loan officer, which was really beautiful because I helped um, people buy their first home, you know, and even how that informs my work today as a coach, I feel like I help people inhabit the home of their bodies by, like we were saying earlier, being able to call all the parts home, you know, even the parts that are separated from us. And so that was really wonderful and a very different kind of skill set for me to learn. Um, but during that process, I was determined to root and settle and finally become responsible. I bought a car and I bought a condo and I bought a bird. <laughs> and then I met my future husband. And it was kind of crazy because he lived in um, Taiwan. And so we fell in love over the course of eight days. And he went back and I was here and I went back about my business in the, in the real world. But during that time, the internet had just, you know, kind of gotten hot. And so we were corresponding and we had this uh, long distance relationship. And, but it's very shortly after he left, we decided that we needed to, because we only had eight days together. So he invited me to Taiwan to see if there was really something there. And so I went to Taiwan and visited him, explored the island and just fell more and more in love with him. And by the end of that trip, we had decided the weekend we were going to get married. <laughs> and so that was really interesting because, you know, really living the freedom from certainty, you know, marriage is definitely an uncertain commitment, right? Mm -hmm. And especially when you don't have very much time together. I mean, we didn't really know who we were in our everyday lives. And because I went back to the U.S. and he was in Taiwan, we didn't really have a chance to do that. In this mean, meantime, we had decided in six months we're going to be married. But fortunately, we were allowed to create that space of connection because in Taiwan, he was involved in um, a group led by two couples that were married. And then three of the couples weren't married. And they would get together and do some facilitated exercises on what does marriage mean and how do you see it and why is it important? What's the value of having a relationship? And what do you want your your marriage should look like what are your values and things like that and so I participated online and you know we had homework assignments and I was the only one who did the homework 
(laughs) (laughs) Probably because I was far away and, you know, I was trying to connect as much as I could. But what came of it is we produced this um, book and we, we called it a marriage document. And in it, we had like what we valued, our family symbol, our coat of arms, who took out the trash, who, you know, we really um, put into it, you know, like the holidays we celebrated, all kinds of things that we anticipated that we would want to do and share how we're going to spend money, what's our philosophy, um, what do you, what's our parenting philosophy, and even though we didn't know, because honestly, we didn't know each other very well, <laughs> but it gave us a chance to talk about it before we got married, and that's been kind of our guiding point, and so um you know we were married and i we lived in taiwan for about a year and then we decided to come back home to the u.s and we lived here for about six years and then we had our first child so we were married for five years and in between that we spent a lot of time traveling we backpacked through asia for four months and um yeah we, we went through the four chinas and we just did a lot of really cool things together as partners and friends and our relationship deepened and one of the things we also did is we became trained relationship educators because we found so much value in taking that premarital course for ourselves that we thought that would be a great gift to give to others so we got trained in um through an organization called pairs P uh, P A I R S. It stands for Practical Application of Intimate Relationship Skills, and so um, that was wonderful, and everything was going along smoothly. And then we had a baby, <laughs> <laughs> and then everything. which was wonderful. I mean, I was so I have a wonderful mom, so I couldn't wait to be a mother. I was so looking forward to it. And in the book, in the chapter that I wrote, She Who Holds, that's how I start as I talk about that anticipation and that joy and that longing to hold my first baby and how powerful that was. Um, and you know, what, ha- what happened is there is when you asked me before, like becoming a mom and after becoming a mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what happened is before mom, <clears throat> as I think about my story, I was very adventurous and willing to take risks and love to travel. And even after mom, I love to travel and all that. But suddenly as a mom, I remember the first day when we were in the hospital and we got into the car, I was looking at my husband like, I don't know if you're capable of driving her home. I mean, I don't know if I can trust anyone to drive this child home because this child just came out of my body. <laughs> and I think we need to stay at the hospital forever. <laughs> you know, like there, there's this... Um, part of me that welled up this super protective part of me. (laughs) And then this part of me was like, Oh my gosh, am I capable of doing this? And so I remember walking her through the house in her uh, car seat carrier and introducing her and just trying to make her feel at home. And so I'd have these moments of real connection and uh, optimism and faith in myself because, you know, really I had such a great mom that I felt all those mothering, nurturing, unconditional love kind of ways, I could do it. But the other things like, you know, what kind of parent should I be? Even though I had pre-planned this with my husband, I didn't know that there were things like attachment parenting and Mm -hmm. a vaccine debate. (laughs) It's like when you become a mom, a whole other world opens up to you. And so when I think about my after mom, um, you know, journey, it was that it, 
became the part of me that was like the tiger mom, the, the, the big bear, the one that wants to protect. And also the part of me that kind of lost, like gave it all to my kids. And so, you know, we had our daughter and then about a year and a half after she was born, um, we, my husband decided that he wanted to live in mainland China. <laughs> oh my. I know. And I was like, I didn't think it would really happen, but he went to China and he found a job. And so I was like, Oh, okay. I said I would do this. And so the adventurous part of me was like, okay, I can do it. And then I went to China and then the part of me that was the paranoid protective mom, um, you know, it, it was challenging because I didn't speak Chinese and the healthcare system is very different. And, you know, I didn't have a car. And so, I mean, there's, it's great that I had that real adventurous kind of pioneering part of me because I could handle it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, it also brought up a lot of fears. And I think this is why I write about in that chapter is that, you know, for me, becoming an evolutionary motherhood has been my path. So the path of motherhood has, of course, that desire that when I held my first child, you know, that's, that's the, um, the part in the chapter that I call I am she who holds like the part of a mother who longs to just hold and care and nurture. And I felt very confident in that. And like a lot of mothers, even the moms listening, sometimes as we are she who holds, we end up holding too much because it's like, Oh, I can hold a lot. Cause you know, you, you open up <clears throat> the Pandora's box of motherhood and you're like, Oh my gosh, there's just a lot of stuff and you can do it. And you kind of grow in confidence with that. And then we have to watch out because that servant girl part can start to take over and we start to please everyone else. And especially if that part is really activated in us, when we become a mother, we can over serve and over give. And so um, that kind of leads me to the second part of what I wrote about in that chapter was I am she who is held. And that's all about knowing as a mother that you can also be held, that that's your birthright to be held, to be held by your partner, by your sisterhood, by your community, by your, your connection to source or spirit, whatever that may be, to, to really feel and to lean back into it and to be held. I think for moms, we're so busy holding and taking care of and nurturing that we forget to slow down and lean back and be held. And that's been kind of my journey. And in the chapter, I write about that, how that came to me is when I had a miscarriage. And that feeling of overwhelming grief that is really hard for other people to understand if they haven't gone through it. And how, you know, I, I just couldn't like get over it. And, and I have so much compassion for women who have this belief that they need to get over it. And, and I think with something like a miscarriage, because there's nothing really tangible to hold on to, like a, a, preg- you know, a pregnancy stick maybe you have, that it's, it's hard to have closure. And so for me, you know, during that time, I taught myself to knit and I knit myself this little tiny baby blanket, you know, a little, little tiny one, because I imagine my baby was very tiny. Aww. And I also asked my family to hold me. And so we created a ceremony at the beach where they were given words to say, and we created this sacred space to honor the life of that child. And so, you know, again, for all the moms out there who have gone through something like that, that is a, 
I mean, that is a very dark night of the soul. And so what I'm saying from my point of view is that for me, it was very dark. And yet the gift of that was that it taught me as a mother that I need to be held. And I think some mothers never remember that. And they just keep going on holding and holding and holding. Yeah. So. That's so beautiful. Thank mm. you, Aurora, for sharing <laughs> that. Yes, it's so important for you to be held too. It is absolutely your birthright. I love that you pointed that out. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> and so was there um, another part to, I know there was a poem that went with the chapter that you wrote in the book. And there were a few different parts of, where was that something you wanted to go into now or later? I can go ahead and finish just kind of describing that because I feel okay. if we're kind of encapsulating what it is to be a feminine evolutionary and everyone has their different paths, but specifically since we're talking to a lot of moms here, I think this is relevant and how I discovered my path of evolution was through motherhood. So this, the third part of the chapter um, that I wrote is called, so it's, I am she who holds, I am she who is held. The third part is I am she who ignites the spark. And what that about is about, it's about my son and how um, by this time I had been living in China for a while and um, domestic help is not very expensive. And so we had a full-time maid. And that was wonderful because, because of that and because I got more comfortable with being a mom, I was less paranoid. <laughs> I was willing to be held by her, like to relegate the responsibility to her and allow her to help me and to ask for help. Um, and I, at the same time, I had this beautiful baby boy come into my life who was so curious about everything. And so as I watched him, his masculine energy, I, I don't think it's a mistake that he was a boy, but his masculine energy lit a spark in me. And so that part of the chapter is called, I am she who ignites the spark. Because his birth, and even his birth, oh my goodness, talk about, you know, the womb. <laughs> I, I got to have him naturally, which I didn't have the chance with my daughter. I tried, but my labor was so long that I just, I was too tired. But with my son, he came really fast. And I, after I had him, I looked at my husband and I said, I'm ready to run a marathon. And that's amazing because I don't even run, but I had this energy like, oh my gosh, I am incredible. Look what I just did. Yeah. <laughs> and so... That, just even from that birth, him going through my birth canal, that energy was lit up in me about, what do I want to do besides be a mom? Because by this time, I was holding and I was held. And I had this space where I could think, well, what do I want to do? And so um, that's the part where I decided to, to become a coach, actually. I did a few other things. I taught kinder music. Um, I had kinder music circles. I was a Pilates teacher, some different things. Um, but that's what I decided was my heart's desire is to help other women to really reclaim what it is that they're passionate about and to share their light in the world. You know, even at that time, I didn't realize that. So that's she who ignites the spark. And then the fourth one, what is called, um, I am she who tends the flame. And in the chapter, that's about, after living in China for 10 years and our kids went to school in Asia, 
home. I came back here to the U.S. And I came back, and after about a week, I thought, what the heck have I done? <laughs> Why did I give up that good life? <laughs> but there were lots of reasons. I mean, there was pollution, and just there were lots of reasons why we needed to come home. But I really missed all that I had created there. You know, for the first four years that I lived in China, all I wanted to do was come home to the U.S. But then by the end of the ninth year, I we had really created something special there. Um, and so I came home, I was depressed. Plus I, I, I fell, it was so interesting, Lacey, because you know I had been held so well by our helper and my husband and the community that we created. And I came home to this whole new place, which I had some old friends and everything, but I had to eat new schools and all that. And I was doing it all myself. And so I kind of lost that sense of being held. And I was struggling. And I, of course, all these things were going inside of me, these feelings of depression. But what I did is I pushed them down. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I had to be sure that everyone else was getting along. Because, you know, you know, I'm a mother and I wanted to make sure everybody else was fine. Yeah. And during that time, um, I got the diagnosis that I had melanoma. <clears throat> and so that sent me into, like, a downward depression, really almost like a numbness. I, I don't, I have never felt depressed before, but that, that was a depression. I never got diagnosed or anything like that. But um, yeah, it was really a dark time in my life. And what I did is I remember going into, cause I, I work a lot by seasonal energies and I was going into the winter solstice and I wanted to figure out, you know, like, okay, what's this next year going to be for me? Like, what is something my heart desires? And I was so numb. I didn't desire anything. And so what I decided is like, wouldn't it be something to feel joy again, to feel joy. So that was my, that was my number one hope was in the following of the feel of joy. And so what I did is I became, um, I didn't know how to do it, but what I did, I, I, because I, you know, I follow divine feminine archetypal energy. So I just use the archetypes that I work with. And I started to do uh, essential oils and oracle cards. I created an altar that I tended to every day and I changed it. I asked for guidance. I sat in meditation. And so sometimes it would be the smallest things like, okay, I'm going to wear green today because I'm hoping for some sort of growth in me, something to wake me up out of the darkness, you know? Mm. Um, but I consciously went into that. I started to follow the cycles of the moon. Because having melanoma, I became afraid of the sun. And the moon gave me hope because I would be mostly outside in the nighttime. And as I watched the moon go from, you know, a sliver to this giant full moon and then back to the dark again, I, I could recognize that the phase that I was in was only part of a cycle. And so I use the cycles of the moon to help me set intentions and then to celebrate whatever there was to celebrate, even with all this fear going on in me, and then to release it and let go and to bloom again. So that's, um, I am she who tends the flame. And that's what I think for women is so important is as moms, we know we can hold and then we learn that we can be held, right? Then we dare to say, what do we want to do more than mother? Like, what's that spark in you that wants to come? If there is something, yeah. there's nothing wrong with being just a mom. If that's your joy. But if there's mm -hmm. something else to allow that flame to go, grow, and then to tend the flame, right, is to take conscious care of yourself, of your self-nurturance. And then the final transmission 
that I received is that um, because I was writing for the New Feminine Evolutionary, it is, I am she who stands in the fire. Because, you know, we live in this world right now that is so on fire, that is so out of control and it's crazy. And if we look at that element of fire as something to be afraid of, that's going to burn us up and we feel powerless. But if we can connect to our womb, <laughs> the source of our creative Shakti fire, right? If we can connect to that and allow that to illuminate us and allow us to know that we can stand in the fire because as women, we are amazing. Just the fact that we can have children and survive that is amazing. We, we have this creative capacity to birth life and to birth our dreams. And so for me, I am she who stands in the fire is all about finding whatever it is you feel your place and your purposes in the world. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't mean you have to be Oprah or Gandhi, but whatever that is in you and allowing that to fully bloom and to be unafraid because it, what is so exciting to me, Lacey, is this new feminine consciousness that's awakening. In the past, we had to be afraid if we stood in, we were actually burnt in the fire, <laughs> yeah, right? Because we weren't connected to that. But now is our chance to actually stand in the fire and to be that voice for the um, the oppressed, for the earth, for you know those who cannot speak. And so that's what I when I talk about setting the world on fire through the hearts of women. That's what I'm talking about is to be so fiery in and of yourself that you can stand in the fire. That you will not burn. Yeah. And when you say that, it reminds me, I just finished reading Brene Brown's book, um, Braving the Wilderness. And she talks about that space of like standing on your own. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you, you speak of it as standing in the fire, but in that fire means that you're standing on your own. Like you can only ever truly belong to you yet because we're such social creatures. We, we look for belonging from everyone outside of us and but that doesn't create change right like when we really can stand in our own truth even if no one agrees or no one <laughs> no one even cares about what we're saying like for me this podcast is me braving the freaking wilderness <laughs> <laughs> you know and i'm sure maybe your book was like that works for you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we all have our, our outlet for that. If yeah. you're going to stand up and be this voice of empowerment for people, not just women, but for people in general, um, and to step out of that, of the victimness, of the victim mentality that we could so easily all stay in because, I mean, most people do. But for those that are ready to get out of that, it's like, you know, we have to brave the wilderness to show them that, yes, it's possible. You can get out of this. You know, it's, things can change. Our planet can change. We can create lasting, meaningful change for our children. And that's, that's everything, you know? Yeah, that is everything. And I'm, and I'm glad that you presence that, that we're doing this for our children and for our children's children. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's not to put the pressure on women to say you have to go you know march do do any of this really what it is is connecting to your own heart and discovering that even if what you do is in your home even if it's 
you know, igniting that purpose and using that fire to burn away whatever those limiting beliefs are that I'm not good enough or that, you know, if I speak up, I will be hurt. Using that fire inside to create this alchemical reaction of being able to stand in your fully sovereign self. When you talked about, you know, this idea that um, we, we want belonging, so we look for our validation outside of ourselves. That's what I think the new feminine consciousness is about, is learning that the power, and I often say power because that's something that people can relate to, is it's not outside of us. Anytime we say, you know, so-and-so says this, or these are the rules, and we don't check in and say, does this apply to me? Is this in alignment with who I am? Mm-hmm. Then we give that power, we leak that power away, right? And we can feel it. Um, yeah. We stand in integrity and we know that the power comes from within. Our mm-hmm. ability to attract abundance, to attract love, to, to be the vessel for which we have come to this planet at this time, that is by going within. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that's the last part of the book, right? Was that this one? Okay. Okay. And real quick, can you tell us where we can find that book if someone yeah. wants to buy it? That is on my website. So that's aurorafarber.com um, backslash book. So you'll see there's a tab on the website. And um, if you buy it from my website, I would love to sign it for you. You can have a signed copy with a personalized message from me. And if you live outside of the United States, I recommend to go on Amazon because the shipping costs are kind of prohibited and uh, Gotcha. So I would do that. Awesome. And I'll post the link on the okay. show notes as well. Uh, so last question real quick. Uh, if you had one tip or a piece of advice on how to become a multi-orgasmic mama, what would it be? Oh, yeah, I would say connect to your womb, connect to your womb, like begin to have and cultivate a relationship with your womb because hmm, I feel like, so much of our knowledge is in this nether region (laughs) so much of our personal power so much of our possibility and capability is in our womb and um unfortunately you know the way that we interact with the womb is more in this kind of um physiological way you know you go to the doctor if there's something wrong or um it's not in the same way that we connect to our heart, you know, when we're having a feeling, sometimes feeling, sometimes feeling, sometimes you might, sometimes you might pop. Like to go deeper and to feel like, what is my womb feeling? Even have a conversation with your womb or even give your womb a name. <laughs> you know, that's a really fun exercise is to sit and put your hand on your womb. I mean, a lot of times when I'm uh, working with women, I'll say, put one hand on your heart, one on your womb. Mm-hmm. To, to speak from the womb of silence because that voice in your womb is really clear. You know, I, I call womb yoni. I don't know if you use that term. And so I'll say, you know, hand on your heart and on your yoni. And if you don't know the answer to a question, you know, you could just ask your yoni. Yoni, pussy, womb, always has a very clear and direct answer. Even my 14-year-old daughter, when she doesn't know what to do and she's kind of oh, spinning around because all that energy is up here in the head. Oh, should I do this, that, pros and the cons and blah, blah, blah. I'll say, what does Yoni say? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And sometimes she'll say it back to me, which is really funny because I'll catch myself like spinning around. Should I do this, that, the other? And then she'll say, mom, what does Yoni say? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really fun. um, I think that is to become multi-orgasmic is to begin to have cultivate this relationship with your womb, your Yoni, um, to begin to listen to that deeper voice within you. And yeah, to be, it's really to have that openness, kind of like, you know, we were talking at the very beginning of the call, those parts of ourselves that we disassociate, right? Mm-hmm. Perfectionist or the bitch or whatever that is. Yeah. To be friend that, you know, because womb, Yoni, that, what, what is so amazing, and I, I, I guess this is what I want to leave the moms with, is that this area of your body has created your beautiful children. Imagine what else it can create if you just take the time to listen deeply within. Yep. Yeah, and the womb and pussy, as I like to call that whole area, uh, (laughs) it's definitely a part of us that we're so disconnected from. And I love that you have your clients put one hand on their heart and one hand over their womb because and even especially men even more so than women Mm -hmm. are taught to disconnect their heart from their genitals and when we connect them that's where our power lies you know our pussies have their own opinions about things and so do our hearts but when we get them talking to each other then things can get really exciting right and you know that whole area too is so many nerve endings like that is the ding ding the radar center for pleasure Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mama Gina talks about this is, you know, what is your pleasure? That's kind of like, what does Yoni say? Yoni, womb, pussy. It's very clear. Like when you really ask without all the gunk from your mind, oh, should I do this? I don't have the right to do that. You know, all the layers of your personas that you put on, mm-hmm. you go down and you say, okay, what is true? What is real? What does Yoni, what does the part of me that is desiring right now what does that want it's never like i don't know (laughs) right maybe i should no it's never it's like really clear Mm -hmm. and then using that information to to create inspired action precisely it's for me that is the chain of the feminine fire that i talked about at the beginning Mm -hmm. there and it goes up to your heart and into your intuition and it can come the other way as well but I think for women and especially for your audience that's what I'm called to talk about is because that's an area that we don't cultivate a relationship absolutely and you know I've coached women that are so disconnected from this part of themselves that it'll take three four five sessions some I've coached somebody that it was nine sessions before we even heard from her pussy. <laughs> and you know, that just goes to show you how much we're, we're socially conditioned to separate our, our womb and our pussies from um, the part of us that makes decisions when it's actually a very well informed and very intuitive and embodied part of us. Uh, that it's really valuable to have. And when you don't have it, you feel it. You feel it in the form of depression. A lot of times you feel it in the form of lack of desire, mm-hmm. um, you know, lack of passion in life. And connecting these two parts back is so important and absolutely vital uh, for the health of women in general. So thank you for pointing that out, Aura. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, it was so good to have you on today. Thank you so, so much. No, it was my pleasure. This was really a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs>